care has real solutions. Our mission is to magnify the voice of the patient and physician. We want to take medicine back to its original purpose. Join host Dr. Nikki Johnson for Free to Care, the podcast. For conversations on lowering prices, making prices transparent, personalizing medical care, taking bureaucrats out of the system to bring you more choices for your healthcare dollar. We know that healthcare is personal, not partisan. Join us live Fridays at 8 p.m. Eastern for Free to Care, the podcast. Hi, 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 everybody. Good evening. It is Friday night, September 17th, 2021. We are halfway through the month of September. Before we know it, it's going to be Halloween time uh, and all that fall. Crisp air is coming through. Um, I have been absent for a couple of weeks, have some family stuff going on here um, that um, we had to deal with. You know, family comes first, always um, work as well. Um, that, but, uh, I am you know, always going to be back uh, you can count on that. So, um, I do not have a guest tonight. Everybody was at the free to care conference this week that I had to miss for also for family um, reasons, but I am happy to entertain any questions you may have or any comments tonight about any hot topics in the news or, um, any questions you may have or comments that you may have on, uh, free to care solutions. So, while I wait for you guys to start posting your comments on, um, I would just do a quick reminder of what Free to Care is. If you if you look uh, this way, um, we have a new logo um, that was created uh, for the coalition. So I'm changing up my background and things like that. So you'll notice that as well. Um, but um, free to care.org is the uh, website. It's the number two free number two care.org um, you can go on and find a, a, a lot about um, the the website oh, about the coalition what we do what we stand for um, who we are um, because the coalition is built up of many um, uh, grassroots organizations or just organizations that were created by the people. Um, and these people include uh, patients themselves, um, advocates for patients, um, as well as physicians who advocate for both physicians um, and and patients. So there's about 70,000 um, physicians represented, uh, over 3 million total um, people in the coalition represented by multiple organizations. And um, these range uh, from very, very specific focused um, organizations um, to, uh, you know, have a singular focus um, to others that actually have a little bit more of a broad focus. Some of them you can donate to, some of them don't necessarily accept donations, but um, can appreciate you spreading the word, um, appreciate you volunteering to help, or really just kind of um, getting you active, getting you um, getting you out there um, empowered with information that you can use um, to advocate for yourself, things that you can ask your doctor about, things that you can ask your congressman about, your state legislators about, um, very specific words, language, things that you can 
add, add to the healthcare conversation that are really going to be solution oriented. Um, the gist of free care is we want to lower the cost of healthcare. We want everybody to have affordable uh, medical care, um, not not just words. And we actually have solutions for that. Um, we also want everybody to have um, a, a access to uh, physicians, access to you know um, physician-led care. But if you choose not to, you know, go with a physician, uh, we want you to have that choice as well. Um, so, oh, okay, that Melissa just chimed in um, with a question. And it is, what do you think of functional medicine, physician, not a chiropractor? Um, I understand that there are um, functional medicine, for those of you who don't know, um, is, is a newer um, type of a field where the physicians are focused on uh, how the bodily um, physiology functions together, how things are coordinated, um, and how it is related to things that you eat, um, your activity levels. Um, um, there's just sort of a really broad field that's related to it. Um, and I don't personally know um, very many of them, so I can't really tell you how I necessarily feel. But but I, what I do want people to, to know and be aware of is that there are people out there who um, charge you for things that not, may not necessarily um, be of benefit to you um, or have any sort of like scientific merit to them. Um, so be wary. Um, because a lot of these um, types of doctors and facilities um, will have you paying cash, you know, out of pocket, um, and you know, and, and your insurance may or may not cover it if you do have insurance. And so, we don't want anybody to be scammed. This it's a it's a field that's so wide open right now um, that there could there the potential um, for um, I guess we want to say it. Um, uh, uh, I don't know, I don't like, for fraud or for people to kind of take advantage of vulnerable people who have chronic diseases or have complaints that haven't really been um, helped or uh, supported by a regular, you know, traditional Western medicine physician. And so I understand that and I empathize with, with everybody and I want you to have options out there, um, but I don't want you to be taken advantage of either. So do your own kind of research, ask before you pay these people any kind of a dime, ask them what their personal outcomes are um, and ask them you know what they're basing their information on. Um, kind of, you know, kind of figure that out before you start to give, um, pay money for lots of tests or lots of medications or antibiotics, antifungals, things like that. Um, so just, uh, just be aware. I don't, I don't have an a, a opinion, you know, necessarily. Is you know what I, what I say. I would never see one. No, I can't. I can't. Can't ever say that. I'm pretty open-minded about um, medical care and treatment and options like that. I just don't. I just want everybody to be safe. Um, and just you know, for example, I mean, I've used a acupuncturist um, quite a quite a bit. Um, uh, you know, I don't necessarily do everything the traditional way myself. So um, I'm also in a pretty unique field. I'm in intensive care pediatrics, um, and I you know I practice what we call pre procedural sedation, which is like being an anesthesiologist for kids, but not in the operating room. Um, so I I do I'm very very specialized. So I'm away from a lot of the other 
um, types of specialists um, as well. So I'm a little bit isolated. So I still have a lot to learn too. So if you guys have some things um, that you want to uh, tell me or teach me, um, I'm willing to, to listen and learn as well. So thanks, Melissa, for the question. Anybody else out there have any questions? I don't know. We got um, uh, some, you know, quite a, quite a week talking about this uh, COVID vaccine uh, with um, Nicki Minaj weighing in on her opinion and uh, people around her weighing, uh, <laughs> the public eye, weighing in on their opinions about things. Um, any questions related to that? You can uh, ask me about that. Um, any questions about, um, you know, I, I'm not going to answer any personal medical, you know, or health questions, but if you have anything, um, you know, kind of in general about how we want to go about solving healthcare care um, problems. Like what, you know, specifically, what do you want to talk? Do you want to talk about lowering the cost of care? Do you want to talk about how do you get access? Um, you know, uh, another hot topic that's been in the news is um, nursing shortage. So um, I actually am I'm, I'm trying to reach out to a few nurses, but um, if anybody's in the audience watching um, who's a nurse and would like to come on with me and have a discussion about um nursing shortage, um, what started it, um, why it did not start during the pandemic. Uh, oh, uh, great, 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 great question. Hello, my sister. Thank you so much for asking this question. Uh, so why do travel nurses make so much money? Travel nurses make so much money right now because um, hospitals and medical systems are incentivizing um, help from anywhere they can get it. And so if you um, are traveling, so say when new, um, in the beginning of the pandemic, when New York had a really, um, you know, high levels of, of patients who are getting sick um, with COVID, they needed all of the help they can get. So they were incentivizing people to come and help. Uh, um, and uh, you know the nurse to patient ratio is 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 a lot more um, concerning when it's when it's too high um, you know of patients um, than it is for doctors and doctors can kind of cover you know uh, multiple patients at once um, and still be still be pretty safe but when patients are really really sick um, you you really need both so that's what they were doing they're paying travel nurses uh, nurses who are experienced. Um, and are willing to travel um, so that they can have more nurses at the bedside caring for patients. So that's what they're doing. Um, that is causing a lot of our nurses who are younger, um, not tied to families, um, so single, um, and willing to travel um, to go and uh, leave the bedside at places where they were employed and then go and travel and make a, make a ton of money. So that leaves us with some shortages um, in our hospitals. Now, the problem is, um, <laughs> the, pro the problem is we're not, um, uh, we're not incentivizing the nurses who are uh, employed and, you know, um, working in, in hospital systems who are established nurses, um, those who have um, experience, who um, are 
um, you know, pretty much experts in their field and their particular specialty as a nurse. They're not being treated as such. They're not valued um, nearly as much as they should be. And this has been a, a long um um, lasting problem. This is not something new. Um, and so now we have a lot of baby boomer nurses who are really, are they're ready to retire. Um, you know, my staff, about half of them are going to retire in the next year um, because why stick around? Um, you know, <laughs> go live your life. You're, you're working in a pandemic and people aren't treating you like you matter. Um, they are also now, they've become data miners, basically. You see a lot of us are on these electronic health systems that was um, you know, required um, by the uh, Affordable Care Act. Um, one of the things that we disliked about the Affordable Care Act um, is that it, it made us all into data entry um, miners. And so that takes away um, our, our care, our oversight of the actual patient. And the nurses, as you know, are the people who actually spend the most time with the patients. So especially in the hospital, they are actually doing the hands-on, you know, care. They're doing the, you know, giving the meds. They are doing the assessments um, ever so often um, and, and checking in on people. They are providing the assistance to get up and go to the bathroom to help you shower and bathe, all of that. And it's a lot of work. It's long hours. When it, when you're in an ICU, they're standing up for long hours. They may not get a bathroom break. They may not get a lunch break. Um, and here you are paying someone who's just left nursing school the same amount as an experienced nurse who's been working for five years um, and, and not incentivizing um, these nurses. They've gone without raises in different places as well and doing more work for um, less money. Um, they're seeing, they're taking care of more patients. The nurse to patient ratio is getting smaller and smaller in unsafe levels. And we've had, we've seen some people protesting. So that's the long-winded answer about that. Okay, I see another question. What is your area doing about healthcare personnel vaccine mandates? That is a very interesting question. So where I am, um, there are three major teaching hospitals, um, and one of them that I, um, I that I work at, um, and they are all affiliated with the same medical school. Um, the hospital that I work at um, has pretty much held off on any type of a vaccine mandate um, until. Uh, President Biden announced that this is what he was going to be requesting from private businesses. Um, and so what they're doing is um, encouraging, at, at this point, they had been encouraging people to get vaccinated. It, it was not mandatory. Um, and right now they haven't released any like an official statement that it's going to be mandatory they are actually gathering data um, on the number of people who are actually already vaccinated and we're filling out like attestation forms um, um, there are some people who are protesting against uh, against actually filling out and completing an attestation form to say they got vaccinated um, um, and uh, i won't say if i'm one of those people or not um, but um there are um, uh, people who 
still have not gotten a vaccine. And there are lots of questions. There are people that I know who have actually gotten the infection and, um, and naturally and don't wish to get the vaccine because um, they don't feel like they need it. And so that specifically is not being addressed um, in my institution. Um, I did ask the CEO of the hospital to address that um, for people who, and also to address the people who have um, questions about the vaccine. Um, so speaking of questions about the vaccine, hi, Saul, thanks for joining us tonight. Thanks for that question, Kay, that was awesome. Um, Saul G, uh, thank you, thank you, my brother. Thank you. Let me give you a shout out uh, too for you know helping me get started with this show and helping me to um, you know kind of host it on Libre TV. So I don't get a lot of traffic over there. So I'll just I just do all my lives and then I post later. And hopefully you guys will go and go find it and look it up and kind of build up Libre TV um, .co. We need we need that place built up because um, there's uh, uh, two independent brothers of mine who are working hard to build a a, 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 a have a platform already for people um, to speak their mind freely. Um, and uh, so, you know, you're not getting kicked off and booted off Libre TV. Libre means free. Um, and uh, so go do that. But anyway, Saul's question. Can you explain the difference between a live vaccine and a, mess, uh, a messenger RNA vaccine? That's a great question. So a live vaccine um, is not necessarily a live virus, but it's, it's, parts of the virus itself um, that um, are kind of the active parts of the of, of the virus that really stimulate the immune system. So when that um, part of the, that's like the flu, the flu vaccine is, is one of those examples. Um, when you get injected with that, your body then makes its own natural response to those particles um, of the organism. What um, with the COVID vaccines, that the ones that are the messenger RNA vaccines, these are actually very. Um, um, there, there are no parts of the actual, you know, virus that itself stimulates um, um, your body to create a reaction. What it does is actually um, tells your body or gives your body a signal. Um, your RNA, not your DNA. And so for people who get that confused, because a lot of people say it's changing your DNA. Your DNA is kind of the basic building blocks of everything that your body um, is, is coded for. So if you know what codes are, you know, it's like it's like the whole Lego set. Um, but the RNA is very specific parts of the DNA that have... Um, been signaled by something in the body to actually form certain proteins or um, uh, that the body naturally is going to make. And so it's it's just a, a smaller piece of the code. So it tells what color the Lego should be, not um, you know how the, all the Legos go together um, specifically or which section is going to be put together. Um, and so a messenger in our RNA vaccine basically is a signaler it tells your RNA basically to produce, make a protein that um, that mimics the vaccine, uh, mimics the virus. I'm sorry, mimics the um, mimics a part of the virus. In this case, it's the spike proteins. Um, makes that, and then your body 
um, fights that very specific area. And that for the um, coronavirus or that SARS coronavirus 2, that specific area on the virus um, is the one that produces the biggest inflammatory reaction in people and that causes all of those really sick um, symptoms where your lungs are inflamed, you're, um, you're producing blood clots throughout your body, um, and then your blood pressure goes lower, you're in shock, um, and your lungs just kind of get stiff and like rocks. That is what it's doing. It's actually your body's response to the virus that's making you sick. It's not the virus itself doing anything to your cells and organisms. It's your body's response to it. So, and it's a very complicated um, virus. I mean, the, those Chinese were pretty sneaky and creative on the way they did that. Um, so, um, but it is, um, so the messenger RNA, it like it, it, it basically is just kind of a, a, a code. It just tells, it, it gives a signal and this tells your messenger RNA to kind of produce this protein and then the body responds to the protein. And it's not, it's not a permanent thing because as you can see, um, your antibodies to it, they, they've, at least they're trying to say that people's antibodies um, actually start to decrease over time um, because of the vaccine. But right now that's kind of, that's very controversial. You've got people from the FDA stepping down because they don't believe we need to get um, booster shots because the data, um, the CDC and the Biden administration decided to put out um, a request that everybody gets the booster shot before we even got all the data. And the data appears to show um, that people's immunity still is standing at this point. So there's really no need for people to get a booster shot. So um, so that means the messenger RNA uh, versions are actually pretty smart um, because we know that the flu vaccine wanes uh, um, at about six months because it's not as smart of a um, it's not as smart of a, um, a, a of a vaccine. Yes, you're right. They did uh, the FTA did vote it down, but the CDC uh, and that was based on that data. Uh, but the C it remains to be seen what the CDC is going to do. But, um, you know, the, the concern is that they were actually promoting this third dose, this booster dose, um, before all of the scientific data came out. And, that, and that's one of the things that has a lot of people very skeptical. And I understand that. Um, and, I, um, and, you know, before I, you know, continue, though, I am a proponent of the vaccine and I want everybody to get it who can, um, even if you're healthy, because you, you, you really don't want to be that one percent um, where you um, are sick in the hospital and it really could have been prevented. Um, I personally do not think I mean, I've looked skimmed over the VAERS data. Um, and I, I personally don't see a lot of any life-threatening things that are um, that are clearly attributed to the vaccine itself. Um, but I understand, I really, really do. I understand the skepticism of everyone um, out there because our government and our public health institutions have not been forthcoming with us um, a, a, a lot. Um, our politicians um, goes back to President Trump, um, who even admitted that he withheld information on how deadly you know it was because he didn't want to scare people. Well, we don't want that. We need we need people to tell us the truth, and so we want to know all the side effects. We want to know 
what people are really at risk for, what's happening to people, why are all these various reports in and then nobody's seeming to do anything about it. A lot of people believed in that. So this vaccine reporting um, database um, is actually created, you know, you know, by the CDC. They people can anybody really can report, but physicians are actually required to report any side effects that their patients report to them um, related to getting the vaccine or that they even think that is related. But it could be anything. So it could be like, yeah, my my pinky toe got swollen and started itching. And then, you know, two days after I got the vaccine and then, you know, somebody reports it. It is not really complete. It's like it's like, um, you know, putting together a whole list of, of things that happened in the next five days after I got this this vaccine. So it's not a great source of um, like real scientific data that 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 shows for sure the association with the vaccine. You can look up there's reports on just about every single immunization. I think the best way to figure out what's going on, what um, for yourself is go see your own doctor, talk about your own risks, and then ask that doctor what they're seeing. Because your doctor, um, uh, especially if they're actually administering the vaccine, um, they're, they keep track of what happens to their patients, or they should be. And if they're not, then you need to pick somebody else different too. Um, but they're, they're, they don't have an incentive to tell you the wrong thing. Because if they lie to you, then you know, you've lost trust and you've lost your doctor. Um, so they're the, they're seeing the patients who are getting vaccinated and they're seeing what's happening. They're going in to treat, you know, people are getting sick and then, you know, need to go see their doctor and they could tell if it's vaccine related or not. And so, um, you know, go to the sources, go to the places that are actually administering the vaccine, go to the local health, health department, go to, um, go to those free clinics, um, you know, that are, that are out where they're actually administering vaccine and talk to the people who are giving it and ask them uh, what their personal experience is. Um, yes, it's not the most scientific way, but in your area, that's where you're going to find the most information. It's the most reliable information. And, and it's going to be people who you trust that you ask. Um, I, I, I am at this point very jaded um, about um what um, what the uh, of how everything has been handled um, in the scientific and medical communities throughout this pandemic. It has it has really really um, it, it was actually really depressing in 2020 for me um, because these were institutions that I did look look up to and relied on um, for information and um, that even includes you know, includes especially Dr. Fauci um, um, and um, Jerome Adams, who was a Surgeon General at the time. Um, we, we, we really needed people to be honest and forthcoming with us. And they withheld information. They told us parts of information um, and they, uh, it, it, they weren't honest with us the whole entire pandemic. And I, and I think people have ruined any credibility that we have even as physicians and trying to sell any type of vaccine at this point. Um, so I'm, um, as a pediatrician, I am really worried about that. Um, so I, I'm not, I, I still believe vaccines work. I think they do save lives. I don't think 
Um, and I know the data that they, they do not prevent um, the transmission um, of viruses as much as it is being pushed out and, and being told um, that it does. Um, but it does save lives. And I, and I just cannot um, honestly, you know, um, as a physician, be, feel responsible. And I'm not doing my job if I don't tell people to actually get the vaccine. Ask me about children another time. So, oh, thanks. No boosters. All right, Melissa, what else? What, I, what do you see, Melissa? Uh, I know it's crazy, but I have. Uh, I guess and eating spike protein is a good thing. Is oh, I'm sorry, honey. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not saying, Melissa. I'm not saying spike protein is a good thing. Um, I'm saying that the spike protein is actually the thing that causes all of the bad reactions in the body um, to the um, to the coronavirus, um, and so it is not a good thing. But what um, that messenger RNA actually does code for that, and it gives your body basically a mild a milder presentation. Um, to it so that you can actually start to um, have a, an immune system. And then when your body sees the actual organism again um, after the vaccine, it doesn't produce as much of an inflammatory response. It's actually fighting the virus. Um, and so that's that's kind of the that's the point of it. Now, um, you know, I have seen I have, um, you know, close you know personal pe friends and family who've had um, who have autoimmune diseases, um, lupus specifically, and they've had a hard time with the with the vaccine, and even got you know the booster shot. But the third time, like with the booster shot, not nearly as severe a reaction as they had the first couple of times. Um, but you know, high fevers, headaches, vomiting, um, just generally achy, um, all the kind of COVID symptoms. So. Um, yeah, the spike protein is what it what allows it to, um, to attach to your cells receptors and then kind of and enter the cell and cause all the damage that um, um, that it that it does. So, so that's that. Yeah, it's that tricky. It's kind of it's it's the thing when you look at it. I mean, they look like spikes, so they help it stick to the cell, and um, and then they have to get inside the cell to kind of cause all the damage that they do. Um, it's a, it's a very fascinating actually virus. If you are, are a person who is into microbiology and, um, and just kind of figuring out how things work, it is, um, it's, it's pretty genius, um, what they came up with. Um, it's just, uh, so any, I'm, I'm actually surprised I didn't get any questions about Nicki Minaj's cousins, <laughs> friends, fiance, but you know, um, I was uh, I was banking that Saul was actually at least going to ask that, but <laughs> I'm not seeing that. Um, anybody else have anything? And I and I'm going to admit too, I'm not a virologist. Obviously, I'm not an infectious disease specialist. I just um, you know I I look and I read and I um, I talk to people that I know and trust who are. Um, uh, <laughs> 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 You're right. It is. It is very funny that it is. But let me tell you, though, I actually did do a little research. So I actually went on VAERS and looked up um, the incidence of orchitis, which is the inflammation, you know, of the testicles. Um, 
and that related to the vaccine. And then let me see if I can actually find my little screenshot. Uh, yeah, okay, here we go. Let's see if you guys can read that. Um, <laughs> so there were about three cases that reported they actually had um, some symptoms um, of orchitis after their um, doses of the, of the vaccine. So this first one um, was a person who had abdominal pain and chills two days after their second vaccine dose, uh, which led to orchitis and then four days in the hospital on that one. Um, another person said um, on the fourth day, they began urinating blood, was diagnosed with a secondary infection of the left kidney, bladder, and testicle with orchitis and epididymitis. Um, it was antibiotic resistant until three-week course of Cipro. Sounds like that has absolutely nothing to do um, with the vaccine. Um, that sounds like a bacterial problem. Um, it sounds like that person um, was probably uh, Nicki Minaj's um, cousin's friend's uh, fiance. And then there was this third one uh, that had a diagnosis of orchitis of the right testicle. Uh, it was a spontaneous report. Um, you know, the patient was a 32-year-old guy, after getting his second dose, and the BNT, which is the, fire, um, the um, Pfizer vaccine. Um, actually, these all were the Pfizer vaccine, by the way. And I, I did a search for all of the COVID vaccines. So, um, and uh, the patient really, you know, didn't have um, uh, it didn't have COVID at the time. wasn't wasn't actually tested for COVID, um, and really didn't have a lot else going on in their in their medical history. So um, you could tell that this one was probably written more like you know by a clinician, either a physician or a nurse, because there's a lot more detail to it. Um, some of these other ones where there's just like these first two where there's not a lot of detail um, and, you know, give you information that's related to the timing of it um, are, um, are probably people who aren't as um, clinically savvy. So um, it doesn't, it still doesn't look like it was, um, this one was either related to the vaccine as well either. Um, there wasn't anything that you could actually specifically tie in but you can't really say for this one either, um, for sure. Um, but these, uh, the first one, hmm, little questionable. The, sec the second one, definitely questionable. Um, so shout out to Nicki Minaj's cousin, uh, his fiance um, right there. Uh, 12795731 bears ID. All right, so there's that. <laughs> Um, let me get back here, get back to the comments. All right. <laughs> so health insurance. Okay. What do you want to know about health insurance? What do you suggest that a family do that has a lot of medical challenges, but don't have corporate? Okay. So no, like employer sponsored healthcare. So yeah, that's a that's a tricky one, especially a large a, a larger family. Um, um, so there's a couple of ways to do this, and this is um, what I've seen people do um, strategize a little bit. So some people will actually go out and find a high deductible health plan, um, pay the premiums but then see a, um, and, and that way um, 
a high, a high deductible health plan can actually um, oh, <laughs> no, um, can give you the opportunity to save money in a healthcare savings account. Right now, we don't really have any other way that we can actually contribute to a healthcare savings account. Um, and so, for the people who don't know, there's also there's a um, a flexible spending account as well too that you can that you can get. The difference between the two is um, both of them you get to save money that's tax free. Um, the healthcare savings account actually rolls over from year to year, and you keep that money no matter where you go. Um, the flexible spending account is amount amount of money that you set aside from your paycheck. Both of them come directly out of your you know your paycheck. Um, and if you're employed, then the employer contributes a, a portion of that as well. Um, but if you're buying it on your own, you're you know pretty much the only person who's contributing um, to the healthcare savings account. And you can save as much as you want up to a different maximum every year. So I believe this year's maximum is 6,500 for our family. Um, and that money you, you save up and you can spend it on anything pretty much you want that's related to your healthcare. Uh, flexible spending account, you spend, um, you save up money, um, but you have to use that before the end of the year. So you kind of have to have an idea of what your family is spending on healthcare. People who do have a lot of chronic illnesses or complex medical problems um, in their family have an idea in general. Kids is kind of hard and trickier because kids um, have, um, they're they're growing, uh, so things are going to change every year. <laughs> so and and so you you really don't know how frequent something's going to happen. So if you have a kid with epilepsy, uh, you know maybe they're they're having a spurt and they have a ton of them, and then they sort of stable stabilize and their you know um, metabolism they stabilize their um, hormone levels if they're going through puberty, and then that's going to change. So as many times as they have seizures and need medicines and different uh, add different medicines, things like that. So that's going to change. So that's kind of hard and, and tricky. But if you're an adult and you have chronic illnesses, um, you you can kind of estimate how much you're going to be spending, how much you're going to be spending on medications, how much you're going to be spending about go, how many times you need to go to see the doctor per year. So it's a little easier, but um, I, I'm biased. I personally like the healthcare savings account because I don't like to guess wrong and have money left over and then that goes to the government. Um, <laughs> so I like to um, keep, you know, keep the money um, that I spend and it's tax free. So, um, so that high deductible plan, healthcare spending account, and then find either, uh, find a direct primary care doctor um, who will see you um, for a monthly fee and see you as many times as you want during that month. And if you have kids, that's a phenomenal idea. So you can, you talking maybe anywhere from 50 to maybe 200 um, 50 for an individual, and then maybe 200, 250 a month um, for a family, which seems like a lot for especially people who, you know, are impoverished. But if you are, you know, living a lifestyle where you have a cell phone, you have all kinds of um, uh, streaming <laughs> um, services that you're using or even cable TV. I mean, that's, that's a huge expense right there that you're spending, um, you know, and this is, for your health care. And with this, though, you get in some locations, you get a direct primary care doctor who will see the whole family, because uh, a lot of them are family physicians. 
Um, they will see you as many times as you need to be seen um, in that month's period of time. A lot of them make house calls. A lot of them will take a call from you while you are on vacation and you're out somewhere and the kid has a fever or, you know, you think they have strep throat and they know your family, know your kid, and they will call in antibiotics for you. Um, uh, you know, <laughs> it, it's just, it, it's, it's phenomenal what they're doing. I mean, it's back, it's pretty much kind of old medicine, like kind of back to the original kind of Hippocratic medicine, where it's just between you and the doctor. Um, they do, some of them in um, different states, they're allowed to dispense medications so they, they can get wholesale prices for medications. So if you're needing high blood pressure medicines or certain seizure medicines or diet uh, insulin, um, you can get it really cheap um, just through your doctor. Um, they can negotiate, they do negotiate prices for um, imaging centers. So if you one kid needed an MRI, um, they can get you a lower cost for that rather than sending you down to the hospital. Now, but if you do have to be admitted to the hospital, um, then yeah, that's when you're going to use that high deductible plan um, that you uh, that you're paying for. Um, and the other piece of that is um, when you have a primary care doctor, um, you are going to have less time in the hospital because they're going to do everything they can to keep you from going into the hospital, keep you from getting sick. Um, and so, I mean, especially, I mean, obviously you still have to pick a good doctor, you know, like that's not, um, just, you know, being direct primary care doesn't necessarily mean that person's going to be a good physician, but, um, but I can guarantee you this direct primary care physicians are working their tails off and, um, they want you to do well. Their incentive is that you do well so that you keep coming to them and that you refer more patients to them. Um, they see fewer patients in a day, so they can set their own, because they're not taking insurance, they can set their own length of time that they want to spend with you. And they, if they know your family, all three kids are coming for the same day, they'll see all three kids in, in, you know, on the same day and set aside that time. So, uh, all right. Oh, Rod. Hi, Rod. Hi, Wendy. Let's see. Rod's got a question. What what can we do to promote medical literacy in our com community? Well, Mr. Threats, you can tell people to tune into my show <laughs> on Friday nights. You can share my share my podcast because that's really what I'm trying to do. Um, I'm trying to educate people about things. But if you're specifically talking about things like, um, you know, their specific medical care needs, the kind of the medical lingo. Um, then yeah, I mean, I, that's a tough one. That really, really, um, is a tough one. Um, I am actually trying to, um, encourage some of these, uh, legislators to hold town halls with some physicians and nurses, um, presence for, you know, for people to be able to ask these kind of questions. But, you know, when you deal with politicians, you deal with, um, a lot of, you know, people who, you know, they have an agenda, obviously, so they're going to kind of stick to um, the policy side of things. But, um, um, you know, there's lots of communities who do ha have free, you know, health fairs where you go um, and you meet physicians and nurses who are volunteering for the day and, you know, they take your blood pressure or, you know, do some kind of basic screenings and that can, they can answer questions as well. I know some medical students who volunteer and do things like that. Um, also, um, 
So, um, but that's kind of generally, but kind of if to, to boost up, to get people literate about the actual lingo and what things they should be asking their legislators for or um, what organizations to go to that will support a certain thing, um, then, you know, that's, that's right here. Stay right here. Okay. Thanks, Rod. All right. Another question. My primary care is a DO. Still don't understand what DOs are, but I love her. Oh, well. So DOs are osteopathic, doctors of osteopathic medicine. MDs are doctors of allopathic medicine. The only difference between the two doctors is how we're trained and kind of what the focus is on. DOs tend to be more of like that functional medicine type type where they, they also, they learn how to um, do things with their hands, um, with their, um, with, that are just non-traditional. Um, not all osteopaths kind of learn, you know, osteopathic manipulation, um, but they don't, um, they don't do all of the kind of traditional prescribing and going to get imaging and things like that. They like to do a lot, um, kind of with their hands and with you and thinking about the holistic, um, um, a part of body of your body, uh, working on all of the kind of your nutrition and your lifestyle um, that goes along with it. Allopathic doctors like me, MDs, we don't learn any of that. Um, we do get a little bit of nutrition here. We get a little bit of wellness, um, but we're really learning a lot of kind of basic phys physiology, basic pathophysiology, how the body acts when it's when it's healthy, how the body acts when it's not healthy, and then what can we do to fix it when it's not healthy? We don't do a ton of um, prevention and how do we keep it from um, being unhealthy. So, um, but there are like, I mean, there are people that came um, to be a big issue uh, when President Trump was in office. The White House doctor, was, you know, was a DO. I mean, it's the same. Everybody's doctor in the White House was a DO. But um, and so celebrities were out there, you know, ragging on them. But like, you know, there are DOs who are like amazing, brilliant doctors. Just like there are MDs who are amazing, brilliant people. And then there's some crappy ones. On you know. <laughs> Uh, on both sides. So there's no, there's no real difference, but they did sort of have to fight to get that, that status. Um, they also had to fight really to get um, training in hospitals. So we have to go through, once we go through medical school and get, get that and we get our degree, our doctor, we have to go through residency training. Well, the, the osteopaths um, were only going to certain places because that did, that trained them. And it got to the point where they were actually, um, really trying to find their own way and try to find a place that would actually train them. Um, and so you're not seeing as many nowadays, but um, thankfully in the last couple of years, they have actually joined and combined with the MDs in what we call our residency match system, where they actually get matched to a place that they train, they enter a lottery system and they get matched. So they have just as much of a chance as getting a spot um, as an MD. Um, so, so that part of it, that piece of it, it's going away. Um, so the training is going to be um, more standardized for them. And so that's, um, that was a part of it that was concerning for people is that they just were not getting that standardized uh, road to training, but they still had to take the same board certification and things that we have to take as well. So that's it. Rod Stock is a DO too. 
Aw, this is awesome. Let me know how I can help and be supportive of you with this because um, uh, that is that is definitely something that interests me um, as well. So um, a funny story about that. I was when I um, my the church that I used to belong to. Um, I used to um, volunteer on Sundays um, as the as as the church doctor. Um, we had this you know health committee, and it was mainly nurses from you know um, the the 1930s. <laughs> they were so old. That was a joke. That's really an exaggeration. Um, they would uh, wear their nursing hat and there's skirt and all the white and the white stockings and you know white hose and everything and um i uh tried to volunteer i'm why i volunteered and i was the doctor and they were trying to get me to wear that 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 nursing hat like no 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 we're not gonna do that well the first day i was on duty a lady did pass out she had hypoglycemia and you know passed out lost consciousness completely we were about to do cpr on her when she came to I'm like, what the heck did I get into? I came to church. <laughs> I gotta deal with this. So, um, and they want me to wear this nursing hat. But anyway, that was that was my little stint with with that. Um, but yes, oh, families with children, obesity, that is that is that is amazing. That is something we absolutely need. Um, and so um we we do like we need more um we need more people who are willing to teach people prevention and and reach out, you know, in a way that they're going to get um, continued follow up, continued um, support and have it there with them. Um, we, we're seeing a lot in our communities where people are building community gardens, which is awesome. So people have a lot of fresh, you know, fresh fruits, fresh vegetables, and I'm um, helping to care for it themselves within the community. Um, I think that that is a positive and that may be, you know, a great site um, to team up and um, uh, introduce some of these, you know, kind of healthy options and health awareness. Um, and so seeing some of that in my community, um, uh, not a ton though, but kids, cause kids are getting much more and more obese. We're seeing a lot of dental disease. We're seeing a lot of diabetes, a lot of adult health diseases. So that's it. What, what time is it? No, it's like, it's, it's 10 minutes, 10 minutes till nine. You guys ask great questions. Thank you so much. My my, my Twitter fam especially showed up, showed out. Wendy, it's also nice to see you. And and Kay from um, from my, my Facebook page. <laughs> I love it. Love seeing you guys. And thank you so much for joining me. Um, next week, hopefully, I'll have a guest on. And um, we will you know, probably be definitely more singularly focused on what I'm, I am really working hard to try and get nurses on so we can talk about that and how we fix this nursing shortage. And, you know, what do we do now in the meantime, um, you know, while we're um, to kind of to stop the bleeding um, and hemorrhaging because we really need it um, right now. You know, we did our shows already on the physician shortage, but the nursing shortage is equally um, as a problem, if not worse. So. So that's what I'd like to spend some time on. So we, we got a lot of topics to cover. Um, thank you so much for staying with me tonight and um, participating. Uh, I really, God bless you all. Have a wonderful weekend. And uh, remember, healthcare is personal. It is not partisan. We are here to um, give you solutions um, that everybody can use.
Peace out.